The Way Out Podcast, episode 153. This is a 30-year tectonic shift that's happening just like smoking and just like seatbelts in cars and just like condoms in bathrooms. Yeah. It's really something that we're, we're, we're discovering really the acceleration in the last five years of the brain science behind it, the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even our adrenals and how they just beat the hell out of it. That's a scientific term, by the way. They beat the <laughs> hell out of it, you know? They just, it's like, and you are manually manipulating these things, no different than if you were snorting a line of cocaine. And you know, I get a lot, we get a lot of pushback on that except from the people who have already gone to the other side. The people who have become free of sugar realized that their addiction was the same. And a strange thing happened when I went public with my substance use disorder is that my coaching stuff exploded with people who had been sober for two and three and five and 10 and even 20 years and more and had gained a couple pounds every year in recovery but couldn't and knew they had to put it down but could not they'd been even to the food groups and they couldn't put the sugar they still couldn't put the sugar down now these are successful recovering adults with great jobs attorneys therapists people with you know people who've done exceptional things in their lives including recover from drugs and alcohol and they couldn't put the sugar they still couldn't put the sugar Welcome Way Out faithful and first-timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week, The Way Out Podcast is going sugar-free 
with Mike Collins, founder of SugarAddiction.com and chairman of Food Addiction Institute. Mike is in long-term recovery from addiction and alcoholism, 34 years long, and 30 of those years have been free from both caffeine and sugar. Mike shares why eliminating sugar and caffeine was a part of his journey, and we discover how much both of these substances have in common with drugs and alcohol. Spoiler alert, our relationships to sugar, caffeine, and even food can and indeed may mirror our relationships to drugs and alcohol and active addiction. I implore you to bring honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness along with you as you take this episode in and truly allow yourself to discover and uncover your own relationship with these substances. I can attest that I cannot deny that I still am guilty of slamming my dopamine receptors with caffeine all morning and sugar in the afternoon. And there's likely a reckoning coming my way sooner rather than later. My discussion with Mike, his journey to a drug and alcohol and sugar-free lifestyle is worth every second of your attention. So listen up. Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join the Way Out podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how excited I am to really dig a little bit into your story and what it was like for you in active alcoholism. Uh, and and, and, and your journey took some really unique path that we're going to delve into later. But before we do any of that, what I'd like to do is give you a minute to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and then we'll dig into your story. Sure, Charlie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I really appreciate it. I love getting the message of recovery out. Um, you know, I, as they say, around, I'm just a garden variety drunk. I mean, I, I've been around a few years and, uh, you know, grew up a hard fighting, hard drinking Irish family. And uh, it was just kind of part of the deal, I thought. And uh, so I got, I've been in recovery now 34 years. So it's been a few days, but um you know, as you said, my, my story is a little different at the end of it because I, I got involved in understanding sugar addiction and food addiction. But, um, but yeah, I mean, my story is pretty much the same as everybody else. I, I um, thought, thought it was just a party starting about 13 or 14 and uh, had a lot of fun in college. But after college, it just kind of ran some big nightclubs and, um, you know, got into drugs and alcohol pretty heavy and got sober at 28 and I've been sober ever since. So, so tell me a little bit of the first time that you drank, you identify as an alcoholic. Yes. Oh yeah. I blacked out the first time I ever drank and, and threw up. Yeah. <laughs> you, was well, it a magical time... experience for you? Was it like this really memorable experience for you? I think it cuts, you know, both ways for folks that, uh, uh, are alcoholic or, or in recovery either it's this magical memorable experience or it's not what was it like for you 
Well, I like that, you know, that it changed my state. It, you know, it was, I, I didn't feel shy anymore. I didn't feel anxious or, you know, the kind of teenage, teenage angst wasn't there. Uh, it just disappeared. And I felt, you know, liquid courage, I guess the, the old name for it was. You know, I felt uh, I could talk to people, girls especially. So Absolutely. I, boy, can most of us identify with that, you know, that idea that, it, you know, I felt like it unlocked so much inside of me that I couldn't unlock any other way. Sure. So I really, I really fell in love with alcohol at first sip because I, it was an elixir that, uh, you know, unlocked all of these things inside of me that I, I couldn't get to otherwise like you said talk to girls and you know be funny and charming and all the anxieties just vanished right and it it, you know it turned me into the person i wanted to be yeah until it didn't (laughs) and so it was absolutely the solution until it became the problem right (laughs) exactly (laughs) and that my friend is why we're in recovery because you know, ultimately, what we sought as the solution uh, to uh, uh, life ended up uh, turning on us, right? So you got sober at 28. Um, what was that like for you? And in uh, leading up to getting sober, you know, and getting into recovery, um, why? What was it in your life at that point that that uh, got you to the place where you were ready to accept recovery? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, like I said, I was running some really large nightclubs and, uh, it was, uh, I walked out of the office one time and there was three cocaine dealers waiting at the, (laughs) waiting at the bar because they had to use my office for the, uh, for the exchanges. Right. So I got a little cut every time. And, uh, I just said, that's enough. And I had to, you know, I had to quit. So I took a week off, but, uh, you know, up to that point, I was, it was weird, Charlie, because I quit drinking when I was 23. And during the time between I was 23 and 28, I probably got, I, I probably got drunk or even had alcohol three to five, maybe five times at the most. And I thought I had accomplished something, you know, mm. um, because, you know, in my college days, I think that one of the things that people, and I never, never hear it at meetings, people never talk about it, is I, I could, I used to wet the bed, man. It was right. like, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, get drunk on beer because I was so drunk that I wasn't re- realized what was going on with my body and, you know, the psh, pee the bed, you know? So I quit drinking and, but I never stopped smoking pot. Um, and, you know, smoked pot all day, every day, and then ran into cocaine in my late 20s. Tw- I mean, I'd done it before, but cocaine speed and it takes uppers to get, you know, get to work and downers to get done work. And it was just like, uh, it just forever, but it just kept going on in a vicious circle. But um, like I said, I still was able to keep a job and uh, whatever, but it was a job that kept me, kept me close to drugs and alcohol. So I took a week off and uh, I went to a meeting and I quit cocaine that day, but then it took me about three or four more months to quit smoking pot finally. And I finally got clean the day after valentine's day and yes there was a woman involved um <laughs> that, that, I was, that i was pining over sure during that whole time period as the relationship had ended because of my shenanigans and so uh 
yeah, so it finally happened on February 15th, 1984. And um, it's the, you know, best, the most, the uh, probably even above, I think I would probably scare my children to say that even above the birth of my children, one of the most, the best things that ever happened to me. So. And tell me about that. So you get into recovery, you mentioned meetings, uh, 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 12-step meetings. Is, uh, did you recover did, yeah. the 12 steps? I did. I started with Narcotics Anonymous and uh, I, uh, I didn't think I needed to go to AA because I didn't drink really. I still didn't drink. Sure. And, uh, but at that time period, it was uh, exploding with the cocaine and crack thing had just started uh, mm. with the cocaine thing. Well, actually, what the crack thing hadn't started. Luckily, I'd probably be dead if I'd have been using or the opiate thing. If I'd have lived through the opioid stuff or even the crack cocaine thing, I'm not sure I would have lived, but the bottom line is, is that um, uh, the, you know, the, uh, now I'm forgetting the question, but. Um, it, it, well, it, you, you recovered via the 12 steps. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, was, what, yeah. What, what, yeah, what I was saying is I need, we, 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 we had about a group of about 14 or 18 of us and there was a couple meetings a week in the town and we literally it exploded to like 30 meetings a week in a, in a two year period. And we were sponsoring everybody. And we literally, I literally had to go to AA to get recovery because we, we didn't have any to help us. You know, we were helping. Right. <laughs> so so you needed some experience, strength and help. So you ultimately ended up uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's exactly correct. Yes. Um, so, uh, so tell me about early recovery for you. What was that like? I mean, ultimately your, uh, on this path where, you know, you uh, start out in N.A. Uh, because you think you have a drug problem, not an alcohol problem. How long did it take for you to realize that, you know, um, uh, alcohol was a, uh, was a problem for you, too? Well, you know, I knew alcohol was a problem. My uh, uncle died of cirrhosis of the liver at 49, and I was in college. I started researching it, so I, that's why I quit. But... Early recovery sucked, Charlie. I mean, I was, you know, really, I mean, I, I we'll get to it later, uh, you know, but the sugar that I had been eating, I, I really didn't, I, I didn't have any grasp of what my feelings were. You know, a, a therapist once presented me this list of 50 or so feelings, and all I could understand was hungry and horny. The rest of them, I had no <laughs> earthly idea what the hell uh, the, my you know, my emotions, my feelings, anything was. And so it was like a giant pinball machine bouncing all over the place when I had to, you know, work a job that wasn't just walking around in a tie and, and uh, you know, entertaining cocaine dealers. It was, you know, I had to actually go to work. And, uh, you know, the stress of making a living and, you know, then eventually got married. Actually, after, by the time I got married, things had settled down. It was three or four or five years in. And, uh, but yeah, the first two or three years was rough. But I, I really, I, I feel like I got lucky because the group that I fell into, the, the, the group of people just, and I think, you know, some groups are better than others or whatever, were just, they just enveloped me with love and, and acceptance. And we had parties like you would not believe um, and conventions and dances and Really, it was just, a, you know, I just moved it over with no drugs and alcohol. And I just, like I said, I hadn't that social uh, atmosphere existed, I would never have gotten sober, you know, or stayed sober. 
the the community that you were able to tap into accepted you for who you were, uh, but the key to that was in. It, that was very much the case for me. I had to accept myself, right? So I had to accept my alcoholism. I had to accept my addiction. And once I did that, then there was a bunch of other people um, that you know thought like me, uh, that drank like me, that used like me, that accepted me for who I was. And uh, that was a pretty profound experience because ultimately I'd been searching for that all my life um, and uh, uh, only found it temporarily uh, through chemicals, right? So to find a genuine acceptance um, of who I really was was a pretty magical experience. Yeah, no, it was. And my, it was, like I said, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of other groups are like this, but I have very fond memories of those first two or three years. Like my, when I wasn't in meetings and when I wasn't hanging with these folks, I had, I was racked with anxiety and stuff and worry and all that kind of stuff. But that, those going to meetings and, and uh, hanging out with those folks and sponsoring people and having a sponsor, all that kind of stuff, just that kind of, just like the program's supposed to work, it worked me through it, so. As you progressed through your recovery journey, your, you, you referenced, but you know, four years in, in that range, there was a new addiction that you perhaps have had all along that you started to become aware of and start to have to address in your life um, in recovery. So you're in what I would call, and you know, the big book of alcoholics anonymous calls anything, you know, over 18 months, substantial recovery. So you're in risk. The substantial recovery uh, territory yeah. in this sort of uh, this addiction that you know may have been there uh, underneath it all along starts to surface. How does that surface for you? You know, how do you become aware of it? Um, and uh, tell me how that uh, played out. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking because uh, it's an important thing to me as, you know, we'll get to, but um, I think the best way to to do this is to say that it resurfaced, okay? There's a great YouTube video. You can look it up. It's Eric Clapton being uh, interviewed by Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes. And so Ed's there at his treatment center in Antigua, you know, $7 million treatment center that he built with his own money to help people. And... Ed says, so this all started with heroin, right, uh, Eric? And Eric says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And Ed says, quizzically, sugar? And, you know, Eric Clapton says, yeah, I was eating, and I was too, bread and butter and sugar sandwiches when I was four and five years old, mm. and it's stuffing sugar in my face. My mother was a sugar junkie, and our entire family, like if I didn't eat enough uh, you could put, we had unfettered access to the sugar bowl starting as early as my, any memory I have. And if I didn't have a quarter inch or a half inch of sugar to scrape from the bottom with the milk, I didn't put enough sugar on my Cheerios or my cornflakes, you know. And they didn't even have, uh, they had very few sugared stuff back there, a little bit, but most of it was stuff you put sugar on. And so I learned that that changed my state, right? That changed how I felt. 
And that stopped working, uh, you know, in my early teens. And more than that, alcohol and beer and, and pot and stuff worked better, mm. right? So I was changing my state from as my earliest possible memory. And I really believe that was the, 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 the number one gateway drug. So fast forward to exactly where the story started with you uh, asking the question is like, I'm about, I'm a, you know, kind of athletic thin guy and I'm up about 25 pounds pimples all over my face. I'm almost three years in recovery or four maybe. And, uh, uh, rosacea on my face, you know, worse than when I drank. I mean, it was just like irritated, kind of nasty looking rosacea. And, uh, and I was just like infatuated with sugar, caffeine and flour products. I would drink 16 ounce Mountain Dews, six to eight of them a day. Um, and that would, didn't include all the rest of this. I didn't really eat any other food unless there was a cheeseburger in the bun or whatever, but mostly pizza, pasta. And yeah, I mean, it was just as how much sugar can I get in? So I started to realize that I studied it a little bit. Read, I ended up reading a book called Sugar Blues. And Sugar Blues was written by a guy who um, was married to Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. And I was just infatuated with it. You know, I started reading some health books and stuff. And so I just decided, you know, I, there was no information back then about the, uh, uh, about the psychoactive properties of sugar. It was all health stuff, right? And I was getting healthy. And I thought I was getting healthy by not drinking or doing drugs. But, uh, you know, so anyway, the short version is, the podcast version is I, I ended up quitting sugar, got married and then raised a couple of sugar-free kids after that. And it just became, I mean, I went on to have a regular working career, but after that, you know, about five, seven or eight years ago, I, I started to, you know, really get involved in it when the science started to take off about the brain and about addiction, you know, that, um, and I had studied or watched the food groups grow, you know, most of them were my friends that were women. There were very few men in them, but, and I went to a couple, but the, Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous and the Food Addicts Anonymous. Not so much OA, it's a long story, and I'll tell it if you want, but the other offshoot groups were really, they, they had rules, and those rules are no white flour, no sugar. And if you adhered to those rules, then you basically got sober, you got your life back. You know, some people lost 100 pounds. But the short version, I mean, the real, the real uh, kicker is, is the question, is this real? I mean, and... In the early days, they would call me the weird addiction specialist, right? <laughs> like, are you, are you sober, Mike? Yeah, I'm sober. Well, don't worry about the damn sugar, you know. Right. And, you know, but meanwhile, they're getting diabetes diagnosis, and they, a lot of them gain 20, 30, 50 pounds or more in the first four, three or two or three years of recovery, right? And I love them. Don't get me wrong. There's not no judgment here, but I'm just. It was just an observation. And it wasn't one I, you know, my, both my parents were overweight and it wasn't a path I wanted to go down. So yeah, that's, that's the story of the podcast short version, but. You know, it's interesting, Mike. Yeah. A couple things. Now I can intimately identify with the idea that sugar and food makes me feel better. And not just because it gives me energy, not just because I am refueling my body, but because 
it gives me a fix and a high. And my dad always used to say that ever since I could reach a hand in a cookie jar, I had the fastest hand in the West. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so absolutely 100% I was addicted to sugar before I ever picked up a drink. Mm-hmm. And we also know that alcohol metabolizes the sugar in the body. Right. Okay? Yeah. And so it's it I graduated to alcohol. I graduated to drugs because I liked slamming those dopamine receptors, right? <laughs> right. You know. I'm glad to hear like a recovery guy say that. that yep. Awesome. And just slam those, do- whatever it takes. I don't care. If, if Maybe if it's <laughs> sex and I have to do that 40 times, that, you know, let's get whatever, you know. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah. I, I, I'm your huckleberry. You got a way to slam those dopamine receptors. I'm in. Yep. You know. Yeah. And I can intimately identify in recovery, and it's something I still battle with today, Um, although I think less so today than yesterday. And, you know, it's interesting the last, I would say, six months, my higher power is sort of knocking on me, right? Mm. And he's saying, hey, hey, kiddo. You know, this sugar is a problem. Right. You, you know it's a problem. I know it's a problem. When are you going to acknowledge the, the elephant in the room uh, called sugar? Mm-hmm. And know that recovery for me is a better process. I stopped drugs and alcohol on December 6, 2014. And a little less than 18 months later, I I quit all nicotine, you know? And just like any true addict, you know, I quit smoking and then I thought vaping was the key, right? (laughs) Right. And only to find out that that was so much worse for me in so many different ways because, you know, I addict the hell out of vaping. Right. Mm. Because it smells like, you know, Febreze. So, you know, you could do it anywhere, Mike, you know. So I was vaping like 40 times more than I was smoking, you know, because, again, if one's good, then, you know, that's how that goes. And so I, I, I quit nicotine altogether. And now we're on this new next frontier of addiction, right? Which is sugar. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to just be the process for me. And I have to know that that's okay. That for me, recovery is a process. And I, I got to, I got to address where my addiction goes one substance at a time. Right? Sure. Yeah. You can't do it all at once for sure. Well, you know, I think I'd probably spontaneously combust if I did, you know. And, you know, I I am of that same philosophy, Mike. I don't judge, you know, I don't call you not sober if you smoke, right? You're sober. 
right? I don't call you not sober if you've gained 50 pounds after, after recovery, right? Uh, we all have our own journeys. We all, I, I, can't, I can't work somebody else's recovery program. I can't do that. But I know when a substance is beginning to interfere with my quality of life. And I know when a substance is beginning to interfere with my serenity. Mm-hmm. And that's really the biggest key for me, right? If it's starting to interfere with my serenity and my ability to be able to, like, I don't have a problem with uh, carrots. Don't have a problem with those. I can eat a normal amount of carrots, Mike, and, you know, um, and, and be okay. And I don't think about, how many carrots I ate or anything ever. I just eat some carrots. And when I'm done eating carrots, I'm done eating carrots. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's just how that goes. It's the same thing that goes, you know, with, uh, you know, green beans. Okay. Uh, but uh, I can't do that with alcohol. I can't do that with drugs. I can't do that with nicotine. Okay. And I can't mm-hmm. do that with sugar. As soon as I open, some, uh, you know, if I open a bag of gummy worms, Mike, there's at least a 95% chance that those things are going to get eaten that, that moment. You know what I mean? Sure. That moment. That, and if I don't eat them all, I'm thinking about them. Right. right? Oh, yeah. They're calling me. Absolutely. Because they make me feel better. Yeah. I like what they do for me. I don't eat peas because I like what they do for me in the same way. I know that they're healthy. I know that they give me nutrients, but they don't give me a, they do not give me a euphoria. They do not give me a high, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Uh, sugar does. And that is, I think, and you've written a book called last the last resort sugar detox guide mm-hmm. okay and do you feel like as a culture as a society things are changing regarding sugar like they changed about smoking and nicotine you know in the 1920s you know nobody ever thought smoking was all that ba- at all bad for you it was just accepted generally accepted right um and nobody thought twice about it. And about 1980, you know, uh, people started thinking this is this is probably not okay. Do you do you sense we're having a, a, a bit of a revolution regarding sugar? I do. I think we're at the beginning of it for sure. I, um, some of my mentors, some of the most advanced scientists on the planet, who've been studying this for long, well as long as I have, but. They've actually done the research. You know, they believe that this is a 30-year tectonic shift that's happening just like smoking and just like seatbelts in cars and just like condoms in bathrooms. Yeah. It, it, it's really something that you know, we're, we're, we're discovering. Really, the acceleration in the last five years of the brain science behind it, the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even our adrenals and how – they just beat the hell out of it. That's a scientific term, by the way. They beat the <laughs> hell out of it, you know? They just, it's like, and you are manually manipulating these things, no different than if you were 
snorting a line of cocaine. And, you know, I get a lot, we get a lot of pushback on that, except from the people who have already gone to the other side. The people who have become free of sugar realize that their addiction was the same. And a strange thing happened when I went public with my substance use disorder is that my coaching stuff exploded with people who had been sober for two and three and five and 10 and even 20 years and more and had gained a couple pounds every year in recovery, but couldn't and knew they had to put it down, but could not. They'd been even to the food groups and they couldn't put the sugar, they still couldn't put the sugar down. Now these are successful recovering adults with great jobs attorneys, therapists, people with, you know, people who've done exceptional things in their lives, including recover from drugs and alcohol, and they couldn't put the sugar, they still couldn't put the sugar down. So it's the real deal, you know, and it's going to be, as we move forward in the future, something that we're just going to have to reckon with and, and, and integrate it into society the way the smoking stuff and the, you know, it turns the drinking and driving thing, you know, it's the, the societal norms or stigma around it is going to switch or flip. Tell me about that because I really believe that, you know, when I, whenever I have a conversation with myself about potentially wanting to quit sugar, mm-hmm. the same spidey sense kicks in when I used to contemplate quitting drinking or drugs mm. or nicotine, fear. Fear crops up. Even talking about it right this moment, Mike, Mm. fear comes up for me. So I know that it's in the exact same arena because my response to having that eliminated from my life is exactly the same. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, the same questions have to be answered, overcome, or understood, which is, A, do I, ha- do I have to do this for the rest of my life? That's the thing that, you know. That's can it. You, can you teach me to do this drink normally, right? Can That's it. Can I just have, can I have sugar in my life, but can I use it in moderation, right? Right, right. And it's right. the same thing as alcohol, you know. It's That's like, right. that was the question I wanted badly, you know. I really did. And I wanted to be able to be, quote unquote normal. I want to just have a couple beers and be like everyone else and not have to drink a case, you know? So I, I just, and that's what, what the, the, the mental uh, emotional hurdle that we have to slowly walk people into and through. And I call it the gift of 90 days. I say, look, just you're an adult for God's sakes. So I told you not to eat steak for 90 days. You could do it or broccoli or peas or carrots. No problem. But when I tell you you can't eat sugar, all of a sudden you can't, A, you can't do it, and number and B, you, you get all these weird emotional, uh, physical things that you go through in the first 30 days or, you know, especially the first 10 days. Um, so, but anyone that's ever got to the other side of 90 days, I always say, well, then you can experiment, right? You can go back and try and put some honey or something in. And no one, to this day, no one has ever turned back. There's their, you know, the weight loss, the skin clears up, the brain fog clears up. It's the, you know, I tell you a story about a guy. He's a, you, you know the name, he's pretty famous. 
and he uh, he was getting interviewed, and uh, he he said, "Tell us about you know your sugar stuff." And he's like, "I was a meathead in college." He's telling the interviewer, "I was a meathead in college. I didn't. I was a, a star athlete. I didn't have to do anything. I just got moved along, right?" And so I was in my 30s when I quit sugar. I couldn't believe my brain came back online. I started to read books. Heck, I've even written one, he said. It's like, but I didn't even realize I had such mental processing powers until I quit sugar. So, I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, the, the benefits were far out, just like recovery in my world. I mean, I don't know if it, you're, I'm sure in yours too, but the benefits of abstinence from sugar far outweigh the societal and little bit of, you know, hits that you get. So, anyway, Absolutely. I and I, it's been my experience with drugs, with alcohol, with nicotine. That's been my experience is once I get to the other side of it, I don't, I, I don't miss it a bit. Right. Not even a little bit. Every once in a while, a craving comes. Right. Uh, it, it happens with nicotine. Happens with alcohol. It happens with drugs. That that happens, right? Muscle but it, absolutely, man, and it passes, right? And then immediately after that feeling, that craving passes, I invariably am inundated with an overwhelming sense of gratitude hmm. that uh, that I am free of that addiction of that substance. What was it like for you? First of all, how did you do it? How did you quit? Did you just go cold, cold turkey and say, okay, I'm four and changed years sober. I'm just, you woke up one day and you just stopped eating sugar or what no, was your process? How did you go about it? So no. That I want to know. And I also want to know what did your body go through once you quit it? Yeah, no, those are, you know, this is the scary part for folks is, Back in the day when I did it, uh, I didn't really have anybody to talk to. I didn't really go to the food group. So I had to do it in a weird way. And how I did it was I knew the caffeine was a problem. was because, you know, I read about anxiety and stuff. So I had to quit caffeine first. And Uh strangely enough, that protocol has been something I've had to use in my coaching today because most people, it's kind of a wired together, fired together stuff. It's very difficult. I have about 10% of people who can continue to use caffeine and quit sugar at the same time because sugar is essentially your antidote, your methadone for coming down from the speed. You know, you, you have to have it. And if you're drinking caffeine and you don't have your sugar, then you can't do both. So anyway, I had to, it took me a year to quit caffeine. Then it took me another year to quit sugar. Um, and I used flour to quit sugar because I didn't know. Sure. And so, and so I, you know, I was still eating a lot of pasta and bread and stuff but it didn't have any uh, sugar or any fructose, which come to find out is the, f- the offending molecule. Uh, it's the, you know, table sugar is half fructose and half glucose. And it's the fructose that my mentors believe. And I believe deep in my heart, deep in my soul, that fructose is a psychoactive drug. You know, back in the day, uh, an apple look like those little crab apples you see in the nature in a banana we couldn't even eat because there was just so many seeds in it they've been hybridized for 300 years for sweetness and the sweetness is fructose and so for me in the early days i unconsciously had a step down program first caffeine then sugar then flour and for me it was like i don't know if it was a year but it was like six months here nine months there 
but it took a long time on each one. And I would suggest that when people do it, you know, in today's world, that they do it one at a time if they can. Uh, caffeine first, sugar second, flour third. Now, some people do sugar and flour at the same time, but um, you know, it's but, interesting, right? Because as I evaluate my own routine, right? Yep. And I wake up in the morning, and uh, the literally the 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 thing I do after I've showered is coffee, right? Mm, sure. And I'm three coffee, cu- strong cups of coffee in before lunchtime hits. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I never crave sugar in the morning. Never. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But after lunch, I don't drink any more caffeine because if I do, I'll have a hard time sleeping. So I stop the caffeine right at lunchtime, and lo and behold, what happens about 2 o'clock? I want sugar. <laughs> and I, and, and, it's because you're coming down. From <laughs> that's it. That's it. So you nailed it, brother. You yeah. nailed it. I'm hammering the dopamine in the morning with caffeine, getting all jazzed up, right? Yeah. So I'm all hopped up on caffeine, and then I come down, off of the caffeine and I'm not feeling so good about life and in comes the sugar, right? I'm so happy that you're such an open person about this. This is really like, it just doesn't happen this way. I don't know if you realize this when I'm having interviews like this, it doesn't happen this way. So I continue, please. Yeah. So in, in not only just sugar, but the refined carbs, right? Um, and that's where the craving for those comes in and especially sort of, you know, after dinner, uh, maybe a couple hours after dinner before bed, boy, does a serious, and this is invariable, a serious carb sugar craving hits me right, you know, Mm -hmm. right about bedtime. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because we talk about, Halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm most susceptible to having a sugar binge right. is toward the end of the day when I'm exhausted right. and my defenses are low. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, that's where the, that's if I'm going to really go nuts on sugar, that's when it happens. And I know it's happening and sort of, it's sort of that same process uh, when I used to get loaded, right? Mm-hmm. I know I'm doing it because it's got me, right? I know I've lost the control at that point, right? And there's, there's, there's that same familiar sort of demoralization a little bit that goes along with that, if I'm being 100% transparent. Yeah. And even though I like what it's doing to my brain, I don't like what it's doing to my soul. Right. You know? Because the, the, that the, the, demon, the, the demon one there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, that, that, the addiction one. Right. Can you identify with that? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's like, one, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, you ever hear that comedian? Like, oh, yeah. 
So, you know, he's got that tagline. I get no respect. I get no respect. <laughs> it's like, he didn't, eventually didn't even have to say the joke. He just said, I don't give no respect to people. That. Right. But the idea here is that these quote unquote things that you can give to a baby, chocolate has caffeine, you know, so things that you can give to a baby, the sugar, flour, and caffeine, get no respect as psychoactive drugs, you know, fructose in, you know, heavy fructose in fruit juice and that kind of stuff. These things, when that, shit, when that stuff slams your liver, it, the coke, it doesn't know that your liver doesn't know the difference between a Coca-Cola and a, and a fresh squeezed organic orange juice. It still hits with the same fury right. and the fructose still hits your dopamine same way. So it just doesn't get any respect. And they, people are, I mean, I genuinely believe with all my heart that, that all SSRIs, all Paxils, all these kind of things are, basically just antidotes to the anxiety and the, uh, you know, the mental strain and stress that sugar, flour, and caffeine as psychoactive drugs cause for people. And the amount now, you know, the, it's, the toxin is such a, it, it, the volume, it's a dose-dependent toxin, right? So we're looking at, like, the amount of caffeine, the you know, rock star, this, and, you know, energy drinks and 20-ounce Starbucks. I mean, it's just the amount that people and young people are ingesting is getting out of hand. And if caffeine were trying to be introduced today, the way it is in society as an, as an additive to drinks, it just wouldn't get passed. There's just no way. Um, because it's similarity to methamphetamines or amphetamines in general is too similar. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're almost identical. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cultural puzzle and it's a evolutionary puzzle, right? And the people like you and, and I who are pioneers in a lot of ways that are willing to look at themselves are the ones that are going to reap the early benefits um, as society shifts and starts to be more aware. As the science now comes out every single day, they're coming out with more. Um, on, on both all these psychoactive drugs that are seemingly harmless, then, you know, then we're going to get more people that, that are into it. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. And, and, uh, and I, your story, your, your, your honesty, your openness, your willingness to examine it is going to uh, help a lot of people. Number one on this podcast, but eventually I think help you because I don't think you're the kind of guy who can just keep stomaching it, you know, keep doing it to himself once you, once you've crossed the bridge of awareness, you know. And that's ultimately the, you know, uh, they always, an old saying, a head full of AA. Screws up your drink. <laughs> then a belly full of booze, don't mix, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just that, ain't fun anymore. No, no. <laughs> And it's funny, before I book the interview, I'm thinking to myself, here's my, here's my addiction and me. I'm like, do I really want to talk to Mike? Because if I talk to Mike, I'm probably going to get honest about some stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, denial is going to be a whole lot harder on the other side of this interview. So You are not the first that this has <laughs> happened, believe me, in recovery guys too, and health guys. Health guys are like, you know, they, they're not even in recovery. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> so tell me. Uh, uh, you know, long term. Uh, well, first of all, tell me short term what because I like this stepped out, I like the one uh, addiction at a time uh, methodology. Let's you know, let's address the caffeine and, and 
it's the first one I, I, I indulge in in the day anyway is caffeine, right? So I yeah. like that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, I don't feel I properly answered your question. The difficulty is that you are going to be incapacitated at some level, even if you do it one at a time. You know, when you quit caffeine, you're going to, the third and fourth and fifth days, you're going to be, lethar- there's going to be lethargy, there's going to be um, anxiety, there's going to be anger, weepiness, hurt, pain, you're going to be feeling all kind of strange stuff in your body and in your feelings and your emotions. And, you know, if it's these true, are, are these, with, these are withdrawal symptoms, so right? They are, they are withdrawal symptoms, but they're also, and I'm sure you're schooled enough that you've studied enough and there's a book out there called The Body Remembers, but, you know, you've heard the, con- the concept that you stop growing emotionally when you started drinking, right? That's so correct. Think of, think of the same thing that, you know, when you started using sugar and caffeine, right? That you use these products unconsciously and because they're ubiquitous and damn near free, you're able to reach for these things when you felt upset or hurt or pain or fear or scared or whatever. And now you're going to have to deal with life's normal stressors, not only life's normal stressors, but maybe the stuff that you were hiding from that's getting ready to bubble up, right? And if you don't realize that this is happening to you, people can't put the two together when they're on a diet, they just want to quit sugar, you know, lose weight. They don't realize that this is, you know, like you and I have gone through it. People in recovery have gone through it. We've helped people get through it. The steps help get people get through it. These things are part of the process, right? But they are unwilling to like associate these with the, the, lesser drugs, the flour, sugars, and caffeines. Even people that are two and three and 400 pounds that must have basically only eaten flour and sugar for the last 20 years or 15 years, whatever. They don't really want to put the two together and realize that they have to work through these things and they have to have self-care things in place, exercise, yoga, call a friend, you know, get a group meeting, pick up the phone, whatever, things that would help in their stress relief and then when these other things start to come up, all that stuff happens. And that in, that's on top of the physical and the physical headaches and lethargy and literally a feeling of impending doom happens, right? And so you got to get through that. You got to exercise, you got to hydrate, you got to eat good food. And you, you know, you got to muscle through it a little bit in the first uh, 30 days or it's a really the physical has gone in 15 or 20 days and then it's the emotional game after that. And then it's like an hour, you know, I, I imagine it's, you know, starts kind of hour by hour, right? You know, we talk sure. about a day at a time, but, you know, the beginning for me uh, with drugs and alcohol and with nicotine, it was, you know, like a few minutes at a time and then an hour at a time. And then, you know, same, same kind of process, right? Like same, same I thing. just got to not have, I just got to get through. It's literally one craving Mm-hmm. At, a at a time, time. right? And this is the construct that is missing from the $72 billion diet industry, right? When people, you know, 99%, 98% of all uh, diets of any kind say no white stuff, right? Simple, no flour, no sugar, you know, cut back at least, right? South Beach, it doesn't matter what you do. They all say the same thing. But what happens is what you and I have been describing for this entire podcast is the emotional upset begins. The actual withdrawals begin and those things, you know, people don't have time to go through them. They've got That's a life, right. they got a meeting, they got a kids, they got whatever. They're, they can't be weepy and they can't be tired and they, you know, they got to have 
whatever. They got to use what they used to use. And they can't go through feelings right now <laughs> or something. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, sort of like when we first get sober, you know, the old saying is, you know, I've got good news and bad news. The good news, news is you're going to start to feel it again. The bad yeah, news, news is you're going to start, start, start to feel, to feel again, again, right? Again. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. so the same thing goes on, you know, with sugar. And there's fear attached to that too, right? Because, again, the old fear for me when it comes to emotions is, you're, you're not going to be able to deal with this emotion. It's going to cause you to behave in ways that are going to hurt you or other people. It's mm. better to keep using whatever you are using to keep the emotions at bay than mm. to try to contend with them because they may in fact overwhelm you. They may in fact cause you harm or other people harm. Mm. And that's worse. So um, that's what the little fear monger is saying is, uh, what's going to happen by you quitting is worse than um, than staying on this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, that's man. what it's saying. Yeah, like look, Chuck. <laughs> you know, if you quit this sugar thing, you're gonna go. You're gonna get all sorts of out of control. Uh, you're gonna freak out on your girlfriend, and she's gonna leave you. Right. But you and I both know that the body's not going to throw you anything more than you can handle. That's handle. right. And, That's and, right. But you do have to have uh, things, processes ready in place, self-care. And, and, uh, and self-care is so important in these processes. We have to make sure that we're getting regular activity. And it doesn't have to be brutal exercise, but regular physical activity, right, uh, that we're still the- eating well. Right. That's the main end. A little, you know, not crazy, right? Just physical activity is the main way to bring dopamine, serotonin receptors back online. It's to, you know, that's how you heal it. You don't heal it. You do not exercise for calorie deficit crap. You know, you don't, you don't do it for, um, to, to burn quote unquote burn calories. You do it if you're hydrating well and getting the right nutrition to help Feel a little bit. You know how you feel when you take a good run or go. Oh, I love it. I, I yeah. take a walk every day yeah, me too. with my dog and my girlfriend for an hour, right? Exactly. And it's not a strenuous walk, right? right? But it's critical to my overall self-care. Yeah. And if people would realize that, that it's really for the mental well-being, not mm-hmm. for the calorie burning, it's then they would they – would, put it in their program and then they would walk right, literally walk right out of this thing. They right. could walk right out of this thing at an hour a day. And sort and of be, and I assume, you know, being kind to yourself, right? Yeah, Giving yourself some grace as you're going through this process that you're going to feel, you're going to feel out of sorts. You're going to feel discombobulated, right? And yeah. giving yourself some uh, compassion um, as you walk through this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like, like I said, this is the part that's missing. This is the part people are unwilling to accept. Everybody says, Mike, just give me a menu. What do I eat? And you know, how do I do it? Right. They, right. they, they can't, they, first of all, and I get it, you know, the stigma stuff is there. When they say, when you say the word addict or addiction or substance use disorder, even today, they, they see a guy under a bridge. They don't want them, their name associated with this concept, this construct. They, mm-hmm. they, they, it's just not, they want a diet, right? They want a food plan. They want to know what to eat and, and how to exercise. And they don't want to listen to this stuff that you and I have been talking about for 20 or 30 minutes. Which is the root cause, right? Which is the root cause and the root cure. Right. 
right. know, to understand it and to deal with it as it happens for you. And tell me as you come out of this, because I, I you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, what it's like to get through it. Once you're through it, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, tell me what that's like. What things did, what things came to you as a result of breaking free of caffeine and sugar and refined carbs, which are basically sugar? Yep. Oh, well, great, great question. Great question. And it's where we shine because days 30 to 365 is where the recidivism rate happens. There are mm. thousands of studies and the consensus on the meta studies, which is one that study all the studies is that there is a 95 plus percent recidivism rate in all diets. Okay. Meaning that Everyone who loses a substantial amount of weight, meaning five to 10 or more percent of their body weight, always 95% of the time gains it back and usually more. Yeah. So that 30 to 365 is a time where you make it a lifestyle, where you get in recovery, quote unquote, if you want to draw that analogy. But, and that's where we educate them that, yeah, okay, you're going to be on a pink cloud for a while, and we can define that for folks that might not know what that is, but you're going to feel really good physically and mentally for 30, 60 days, but then all of a sudden, life's going to happen. <laughs> and if you're not prepared uh-huh. for, for to, with your self-care and your, your other, you know, have a group to, that you can talk to or a friend that you can talk to or somebody, a coach, anybody, then you're going to fall right back into the easy, simple way, which is just grab a donut, a cup of coffee, and go into the meeting, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah, so that's the if you know you ask about the the what happens and what's the good time after. I mean, I can tell you a hundred benefits. You know, I, I got all my brothers have some sort of meta. Both my parents died of Alzheimer's, which I believe they call you know diabetes three now. They do. Uh, you know, they they, they absolutely it's, it's, do. Yeah, it's called it's basically a metabolic syndrome of some sort. And all the diseases that associated with that, and all my—I'm the only one. I'm the oldest of my brothers. All my younger brothers—they don't have any teeth. They all have false teeth, and, and they're, you know what I mean. And so I don't know. We have the same genes. I just haven't right. eaten any sugar or flour, right. you know. Right. Um, right. Right. So it's like the physical stuff. I can't even tell you. But moreover, the mental uh, uh, peace, and then the. Uh, I love my brain. I'm sure you do too. It's like that meant, and when, when you watch both your parents die of Alzheimer's disease, you, you do not want to be losing that thing. You know, you right. have, but what, what's the quote, you know, like uh, of all the things I've lost, my mind's the thing I miss the most. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, 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 you know, I like to play up there. I like to think, you know, whatever. And I do. And people are amazed at the, the, uh, uptick in ability to process and to remember and to, you know, think things through. Uh, It's like, that's where the stuff is hitting that reward center of the brain. And the science is all there. The science is headed that way. Yeah. Can we say diagnostically that that's what's, that's what's going on yet? Not yet, but 90, you know, they, if you read the brain grain, grain brain with the perlometer, you'll see that, that this is what's causing this stuff. And so it's the benefits are just like too many to mention. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I would imagine that uh, as you cross through that 90 day, because absolutely anybody, any of us in recovery, absolutely identify with the pink cloud where, you know, we feel tremendous, 
mm-hmm. afterward, you know, right, you know, right afterwards, uh, that I didn't know I could feel this good. Right. I had no idea. That's, it, that's oh the God. exact if saying. I, that's the exact saying. If I knew I could feel this, but I would have quit this shit a long time ago. My God, what took me so long? Right? That's the feeling we get. Like, what the fuck was I waiting for? Right? Exactly. This is amazing. And that's then, and, and then you know, uh, reality sets in, right. and you know. Uh, sugar is available like alcohol is in Wisconsin. You know, it's everywhere. And I only say that because my girlfriend's from Wisconsin and uh, 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 I originate from Minnesota. So I got to get that in. Uh, now, she's probably listening and I'm probably going to get it. But nonetheless, it was worth it. Was worth, it was worth it. Uh, but it's everywhere, right? It's legitimately everywhere so if we want it we can have it and like you said it's damn near free Mm -hmm. right i can get a big old bag of gummy worms for two dollars (laughs) right so um and and it's in so many things right things that you wouldn't even think it's in it's in right so the idea that we have to become uh, uh, uh some we probably have to become a bit of a detective too right to make oh yeah, that part's hard. Yeah, so, right. As talking about eternal store. vigilance, man. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like when you're the grocery store man, like I don't want to relapse, right? So I got to read this. I got to read this nutrition label pretty, pretty good, right? Yeah. No, this. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be eating anything out of a bag or box of can or uh, you know a package anyway. If you're going to try this, you got to eat on the outside of the grocery store. The whole the. And that's you know one somebody once told me that if you stay on the outer perimeter of the uh, grocery store, you're going to be in pretty good shape, right? But if you get into the middle of the grocery store, that's where all the that's danger, where all, danger <laughs> Will Robinson danger danger hundred percent hundred percent. Mike, uh, I want to give a shout out to SugarAddiction.com. You are the founder, uh, yeah. and and you are the board chairman of Food Addiction Institute. You've been in long-term recovery for over 34 years, sugar-free for 30 of those years. Uh, You've written a a book called The Last Resort Sugar Detox Guide. And uh, give us, uh, you know, uh, if I were to ask you the, the one piece of literature really revolutionized this thing for you regarding uh, your relationship with sugar, uh, what was it? Mm, yeah, I mentioned it early on. It, it was the one that tripped my trigger in the early days. It's, it's an older book called Sugar Blues by Duffy, William Duffy. He was married to Gloria Swanson. And uh, yeah, he lost 30 or 40 pounds. And she, it's a great story. He was, uh, the way they met, she was, he was her fourth husband or third or fourth husband. And she, he's at a party and she says, uh, he's getting two lumps of sugar in his coffee. And from behind, a voice says, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. And he knew the voice and turns around, there's Gloria Swanson. They ended up getting married. And then they, they actually promoted this around the world when the book came out in the early 80s. So, or actually before that, I think. But, um, but Talk yeah. about, you know, sort of being, being uh, ahead of your time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the. I mean, I, I don't want to get into it, but the, there's a huge argument that uh, Gary Taubes wrote a book now called The Case Against Sugar. It's very new. but And the, the thing is, like, 
30 years ago when high fructose corn syrup came into the marketplace, um, they had a big war, big debate on the fat part, and they tried to get the fat out of the diet. This guy Ansel Keys, it's a long history, great history lesson, but, um, and so the only way to get fat out is to put sugar in it because it tastes like crap if you don't have any fat in it, right? That's right. And so that was where we went down the wrong road. And you can literally watch the obesity, the obesity numbers and the, the amount of high fructose corn syrup in the food system go along the same graph for the last 30 years. It's pretty amazing the way the food industry decided to take that turn, right? And demonize fat yep. uh, 30 plus years ago and substitute sugar instead. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, brands like Coca-Cola <laughs> and others mm -hmm. uh, uh, clearly uh, benefited from that. So if you're a conspiracy theorist guy, <laughs> you know, you could say that there's probably oh, there's some good stuff out there that they've right. pulled up, that, right. you know, that, how they uh, obfuscated and hide and, you know, they, they created studies that they paid for. And, you know, yeah, it's it. some old sugar company uh, documents have been discovered and it's really entertaining <laughs> as to what happened. There's no doubt, you know, it, 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 it very much as we talk about this sort of revolution that starts to that that's starting to gain uh, critical mass yeah. today yeah. that, you know, you imagine that there's going to be some folks, right? Uh, some organizations that are going to look a lot like the Marlboro and RJ Reynolds of yep. 20 years ago, yeah. right? Uh, you did what to, 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 to cover the, you, you, you know what I mean? Well, it's going to go down differently too. I don't know if you remember this picture, but there's seven CEOs of seven tobacco companies in front of Congress with their right hands up saying, answering the question, do you believe nicotine is addictive? And all seven of them said no with right. the right hand up swearing. You're, you're not, the food people are not going to do that. They're going to play this a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna not gonna go down quite the same way yeah that's not gonna look the same right? <laughs> uh, mike i can't thank you enough for taking time again to be on the way out podcast uh, uh i'm gonna have all your contact information and a link to your book in the show notes or if you're listening to this show right now check the show notes and you will see a link to mike's book the last resort sugar detox guide as well as sugaraddiction.com, okay? And uh, if you uh, want to get a hold of Mike and all of that escapes you, you can always email the show at share at wayoutcast.com. That's share at wayoutcast.com. Mike, I thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Thank you so much for being on and uh, be well, brother. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, man. You're doing a great work for society and, and, and people in general. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. See ya. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. 
If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.